may just be prepared to preach till two o'clock after that. <laughs> good, good um, word and song this morning. I pray that you've been touched by the Master and you have you've seen the light and uh, know who He is this morning. If not, we're going to have a great chance to see Him in Ruth chapter four. Ruth chapter four. We're nearing the end of uh, what some call, and I would agree with, the gospel according to Ruth. Have you ever heard it called that, the gospel according to Ruth? I believe we see the gospel all over the pages of Ruth. I believe that Ruth is a story of the gospel of God, uh, but I believe we see the gospel all in the Old Testament. Don't think that the gospel is reserved to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the books of the Bible that would follow. We find our God, a redeeming God, from the very beginning. From the very beginning of the pages of Genesis, when Adam and Eve messed this world up that God created, when they brought chaos from God's creation, we see God pursuing man after himself. And God has been out to redeem us ever since. You know, a lot of times, kind of the way humanity goes, when somebody messes someone else's plan up, they may be out to get them. Well, God has not been out to get us. God has been out to redeem us. And the story of Ruth is a story with really two themes. We have the theme of the providence of God, which we've already seen overwhelmingly. Ruth didn't just happen in Boaz's field. Boaz didn't just happen to be a kinsman redeemer. He didn't just happen to be a kind man in the period of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own sight. These things did not just happen. God's providence was leading this. But Ruth is not only a story of the providence of God. Ruth is a story of the redemption of God. Two themes in the book of Ruth, providence and redemption. And we're going to begin to see redemption in chapter 4, beginning in the first 12 verses this morning. Today, if you don't know for certain that you're in the family of God, whether you're here in person or you're watching online with us, I want you to listen closely to this word that Ruth would tell us today. And I want you to see the redeeming love of God that was not just for Ruth, but the redeeming love of God that this story ultimately points that is for you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I want you to know this. God loves you. And God has gone to great lengths in order to reveal His love to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life may look like now, you can be in complete rebellion to God. And in this moment, something told you to listen to church today. God loves you. But it's up to you what you do with, with the redemptive love of God. Let's open our Bibles to Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and see what the first 12 verses would teach us about God's redemption. Beginning in verse 1, the text says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. 
He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now it was custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow, to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz follows through, and we see the redemption of God. Now, next week, we're going to look at the marriage, but this week, we see that the deal is done. Boaz follows through. What does this passage teach us about the redemptive of God. Well, let's back up and look at the context of what is going on here. In verse 1, the Bible tells us that Boaz goes to the gate and he sits down and he waits for the kinsman redeemer to come his way. If you remember from last week, in chapter 3, we have Ruth going to lay at Boaz's feet, which was a sign of humble marriage proposal to Boaz. Because Boaz was an older man, Ruth was a young woman, Boaz was not going to impose himself on Ruth, so Ruth had to propose herself to Boaz. So she humbly lays at his feet and asks that, that he would take her as his wife. She uh, labels herself his servant, no longer the Moabitess, pledging marriage to Boaz. And Boaz agrees, but he tells her, there's one closer than myself to redeem you. So let me go check with him, and then I will come back with a word. And chapter 3 ends with Naomi telling Ruth to wait until the matter, see how it turns out, because Boaz was certainly going to do what he said he would do. And so last week we ended with this idea of waiting on God. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're waiting on God, and waiting is no fun. We don't like to wait on God. Sometimes we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and it seems like God is ignoring us. But God is not ignoring you. If, there is, if there's no unconfessed sin in your life, keeping your prayers from reaching heaven, if you're living daily in a repentant attitude, in a repentant life, seeking to confess your sins before the Father, sometimes God uh, waits to answer our prayers. God is not ignoring us, but 
His answer may not, it may not yet be time for that. And we see all in the pages of Scripture that God calls His children to wait. We learn much more in the waiting than if we were to get our answers instantly anyway. So Ruth is waiting on Boaz's answer. And while Ruth is waiting, this is what is happening that Ruth does not know about. Boaz goes to the city gate. What do we know about the city gate? Well, in this day and age, there were no lawyers in courtrooms. And so the city gate was not only the wide part of the city where you entered and exited the, the city, but it was the place where transactions happened. Business deals would take place here. So uh, anytime you had an important matter, you would gather in the city gate with the one whom you're making a transaction, and likely the transactions were made most often at the city gate. There would also be many witnesses there, as we see in today's passage. And so Boaz goes to the city gate, he sits down there, and he waits for the close relative, the nearer kinsman redeemer, to enter by the city gate. In verse, <clears throat> the end of verse 1, Boaz sees him passing by, and Boaz says, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. He's basically calling his attention by saying, turn aside and sit down here. But there's several places in this passage in which we're looking today where we see a little bit of humor coming out in the text. Now, we can't really understand it in the English translation, but I want to tell you what the passage is saying in the original language so that you too can see the humor of what is going on here. Boaz calls this man what we have labeled friend. Well, in the original Hebrew, the Hebrew word that Boaz calls this man is a word that's going to sound quite strange to you and mean nothing to you until I tell you its definition. But it is the word poloni almoni. Sounds like baloney, doesn't it? <laughs> and basically, this word in Hebrew means so-and-so. doesn't even give him a name. It would be quite disrespectful if somebody called you and said, hey, so-and-so, come here. They don't maybe don't know your name, but they just want to get your attention. Or maybe they do know your name and they're just being disrespectful. They're not calling you by their name. Well, Boaz does not mention the name of the kinsman redeemer. We don't know why his, his name is not mentioned, but I have a good indication as to why. Some say that maybe Boaz did not know his name, so he didn't know what to call him. So he just says, hey, so-and-so, come here and sit down. But I don't believe that's it because Boaz knew this man was a close relative. He knew he was a kinsman redeemer. Likely, Boaz and this man were cousins, and that would, that would tie them to Elimelech. So they were likely related somehow. So I think Boaz would have known his name. What I think is going on here is that the writer of Ruth does not consider it even worthy to mention this man's name because he does not follow through on his part of the deal. This man will not meet his requirements of uh, redeeming Ruth, doing what he is expected to do. And so the writer of Ruth just says, well, I'm not even going to mention his name. He's just going to be known as old so-and-so because he's not even worthy to be called his name. And so he just, in, in, in the, uh, the text of transmission, he just says, Boaz says, hey, so-and-so, come here and sit down. So the man, whatever his name was, however it happened, he comes and he sits down. And Boaz, in verse 2, takes ten men of the elders of the city. This would have been respected men, men who were worthy of their word, men you could count on, 
not men with questionable character, but he takes 10 of them. The Bible says in most places that there, a matter is settled on how many witnesses? A matter of three or four witnesses. A matter could be settled. Well, Boaz, in keeping with his character, wants to go the extra mile. So he takes 10, a number of perfection. He gathers 10. He goes above and beyond the number that was required of witnesses to settle an important matter like this. And he calls them to sit down with so-and-so and himself to hear of the transaction that's about to take place. And so they sit down and they listen. Verse 3 says, Then he said to the closest relative, and, and he begins to tell him what's going on. Naomi has come back from the land of Moab. She has to sell a piece of the land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, likely they were not brothers. He's just calling him brother. They, most likely they were cousins, these men, Boaz and the kinsman redeemer, along with Elimelech. And he says, Naomi went off to Moab with Elimelech, and she has come back. And uh, now she has to sell the land that she once had before she left Bethlehem. Naomi left Bethlehem as someone who was cared for, provided for. She had provision. She had security in life. But now she's come back to Bethlehem a poor widow. She has no male heir to care for her. She's experienced heartache and hardship in Moab. She doesn't know where to turn. Thank God for Ruth, who is getting out in the fields, and she's gleaning, and she's providing not only for herself, but also for Naomi. And um, Boaz says, Naomi, the wife of our relative, has come back, and now she has to sell this land. Land was important in Israel. still is to this day. It's not a very large land. In fact, you can take the geography of Israel... And it can fit inside the state of Mississippi. It's not a very large geographical region. So land is scarce, and land is an important commodity. It is important, an important inheritance. And uh, most often in the Old Testament, they saw land as a blessing from God. It was an inheritance, not just from one's family, but it was an inheritance from God. And so it, the, the system was created for the kinsman redeemer in order to keep land in the family. One, uh, based on the, the right of leveret and marriage in Leviticus 25, 25, if you want to read about it. If a man died or he could not fulfill his obligation to his wife, to his family, then a kinsman redeemer, someone who was related, a male who was related, could come in and redeem land family, and justice for the oppressed. So we need to understand this idea of kinsman redeemer before we go any further. It was a, someone who could, a family member, a relative, who could come in based on Levitical law. And when there were hardships in family life, such as we're seeing in the life of Ruth, a kinsman redeemer could step in and contractually, legally, take on uh, ownership and responsibility for the land. They could acquire the land from the relative, this blessing from God. They would take on the responsibility of justice for the individual. In other words, they were now responsible for their security. And then the third part is, along with this, they had to take on any relatives that would still be alive. And so you could be a kinsman redeemer and just receive land if there were no relative. 
And that's what this so-and-so thinks is going on. He hopes is going on because then he backs out of the deal when he finds Ruth is involved. But God set this up so that people would be cared for, so that his people would have a way of caring for one another. Can I tell you from the beginning, God has always been concerned with God's people caring for the needy. It's not up to the government's responsibility to care for those who cannot care for themselves. The church should care for those who cannot care for themselves. It is the church's responsibility. The Bible over and over, Old Testament and New Testament says, pure religion is what? Caring for the orphan and caring for the widow. What do those two groups of people describe? Those in society who cannot care for themselves. An orphan left without parents and a widow left without any male heir to care for her, to provide for her and to provide protection over her, as was the cultural standards of that day. And God said, it is your responsibility to do that. And so Boaz is stepping into a godly responsibility, but he's being a man of character and giving this other kinsman redeemer opportunity to step up to the plate and do what he's supposed to do. But look what he says in verse 4, after he explains the situation. He says, so I thought to inform you, Literally, the Hebrew language says, uncover your ear. This is another place of uh, humor that we may not see in the English language. Well, my translation says, I thought to inform you. I know how yours might describe it uh, if you're reading from another translation. But the literal Hebrew says, he's talking to him, and then he says, uncover your ear. In other words, hey, listen up. I'm telling you something important. Pay attention here. Maybe the man was looking off into a distance. Maybe he was distracted. Maybe he was talking to someone else and giving him one ear. We don't know. But Boaz says, this is important. Give me your ears. Listen to what I'm saying. And he says to the man, buy it before those who are sitting here. The witnesses here, you can buy the land. And before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And after you, it is myself. Boaz is talking to this so-and-so man, and he says, listen up. It's your job now. You're the next in line. Are you going to redeem the land? Are you going to take on responsibility? Are you going to step into your God-given task? There's no one else but you, but if you're not going to, I'm next in line, and then it comes to me. But we began to see this idea of redemption in verse 4, coming full steam ahead. Many times in this one verse alone, Boaz uses the word redeem, 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 redeem. Boaz, really, I think, could care less about the land. It's not about the land. Boaz is after Ruth here. He wants to make sure she's redeemed, that she's cared for, that provision comes her way. I told you a moment ago that redemption is a key theme in the book of Ruth. We don't really see it coming out until here in chapter 4. We get hints of it that it's coming. But now we see it full steam ahead coming forth 
that God is up to something. This is more than just a woman being redeemed into a family. And you see, in the period in which all of this story has taken place, God's people were waiting for redemption. This was the time of the judges, when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And can I tell you, when you live in a culture where everyone is just doing what is right in their own eyes, it is chaos, it is turmoil, and it is hardship at every turn. We're there today, okay? We're, we're living in the period of the judges where people are just doing what is right. We're creating laws just to do what is right, all in our own eyes. Whatever we want to do, find a way and do it. And that's the time in which Ruth was living. And the, the people of God who were still living as a remnant, the people who still wanted to do what was right, they were waiting for redemption to come from God. They were waiting to see God's hand move and God work. And so Ruth is a story of waiting to see redemption come in her life. She's been living as a Moabitess. She left her land. She journeyed with Naomi. Now she's in a foreign land, Bethlehem. But she's in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the place where God was going to provide. And God provided much more than daily bread for Ruth. This is a story of redemption. We're going to see it little more as we continue on verse 5 Boaz said on the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi oh yeah I forgot something <laughs> you also get Ruth the Moabite woman widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance there was no way this Redeemer could fulfill part of his responsibility and say, well, I'll take the land, but I can't take Ruth. If he was going to be the kinsman Redeemer, he had to redeem it all. And so Boaz tells him about the land first, and then he, when the man says, I'll agree to redeem it, and Boaz tells him of Ruth, the one more thing that is left, look what he says in verse 6. I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. The text is placing these two men in contrast. We've seen over and over the character of Boaz. He's always a man who wants to do what's right. He's a man who lives above bar in a culture where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. He's a man of character. He's a man of responsibility. He's a man of kindness. He's a man of love and graciousness. And he comes to play. He's here having this conversation all because he wants to do what is right. Because there's land involved. There's relatives involved. And he, when he tells the man who comes along with the land, the kinsman redeemer says, I can't do that. Well, what in the world changed your mind? Obviously, it was that you get Ruth. And so we have these two men, Boaz, a man of character, and this kinsman redeemer that's not even worthy to have his name shared in the passage, a man who was not willing to do the right thing. The text is unclear as to what he means by jeopardizing his own inheritance. We don't know. There's really no cultural understanding there as to what he meant. We don't really know exactly what he's on. There's speculation. There's thoughts. Some say that he is being a coward and he didn't want to take Ruth as his wife because he didn't want 
everybody talking about him from now on saying he has a Moabite wife. We don't know why he would not take Ruth, but we know what's important. He would not take Ruth. And I want to tell you, Boaz is such a contrast to this man. In the day and age in which we live, we need to be people who do what is right no matter what. Boaz is that man. He's a man who's going to fulfill his responsibility. He's going to do what he gave his word to do. And he's going to own up to it. Then we have old so-and-so, who the land sounds good to him. It's more land for inheritance. That's more land to harvest in the days to come. That's more monetary gain for me. But then when it comes to hearing the full story and Ruth enters the picture, oh, for some reason, I'll make up an excuse. I cannot do that. I want to tell you this morning, there should never be an excuse for doing what is right. God has shown us what is right. It is not by what society lives by. It is not traditionally what may be right. It is what the Bible says is right. And we need to understand what God's Word says. We need to understand what character and principle is by the authority of God's Word. We need to be people of our Word who don't need to sign a contract in our day and age. If we tell you we're going to do something, we're going to do it by the authority of God. That is Boaz. In contrast to this so-and-so man, we do not need to compromise the truth of God's Word, And that is what's happening here. You may not see it on the pages of Scripture, but this kinsman redeemer was bound by Levitical law to step in to redeem Ruth. And yet he's saying there's some reason I cannot follow through, so Boaz, you do it. How many times do we take Scripture and we want part of it, but when it comes to obeying the whole of it, we say, well, there's some reason I can't apply that to my life. There's some reason I can't accept the, uh, accept the whole authority of Scripture. There's some reason I can't come under full submission to the authority of the Word of God. God is looking for men and women today who do what is right no matter what. Men with principle. Women with principle. Don't let it be a lost art among you today. It's a lost art in our world, but it doesn't have to be a lost art among you. Stand and act on what is right, and listen to this. Make no apologies for it. God will honor those who honor God in God's word, and Boaz is being that man. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that a, quite a strange um, practice happens. In that day and age, one would, when there was land passing from one person to another, again, there were no courtrooms, there were no lawyers. So what would they do? They would take off their sandal and they would give it to the one they were making the deal with. Why in the world the sandal? Well, the sandal was the part of clothing that did what? It touched the land. It was the closest thing you could offer to the land on which you were walking. That would be your land. And so if you were selling property to somebody, the way you contractually confirmed that transaction, you would take off your sandal and you would give it to them. And when you took off your sandal and you gave it to them, the deal was done. And everything that came with the land. 
What do we have here? Verse 8, the closest relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Boaz has just confirmed the redemption of whatever land Naomi had, but most importantly, Ruth as his wife. Boaz gathers the witnesses around him, and he says, you know, your witnesses to this, all that belong to Naomi is now mine. Moreover, I've acquired Ruth, the widow. I'm going to fulfill my responsibility to her. I will be her husband. Uh, I will be father to her children. He's going to meet his patriarchal duties, in other words. And look what the witnesses say in verse 11. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Verses 11 and 12 are a classic Old Testament blessing. What these witnesses are doing, they're blessing Boaz. And they're saying, may God bless you. May he make Ruth like Rachel and Leah. Who are Rachel and Leah? The mothers of the 12 tribes, right? The, one, the mothers of all the blessings that God would give, promised through Abraham. Both of whom he built the house of Israel. Israel, the foundation of the house of Israel in the Old Testament came from Rachel and Leah. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah. Become famous in Bethlehem. What do we know about Bethlehem? A tiny village, but it's known. Who's going to soon come from Bethlehem? Before Jesus, King David. And then Jesus. And this woman Ruth is going to be a part of all of it. And then verse 12, he says, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. What do we know about Tamar? Well, I don't have time to go into the historical context of Tamar, but go read about her in your Bible. She was an outsider. She was not like Rachel and Leah. She was an outsider who came into the family of God in a most unusual way, but God used her. And here we have these elders of the city witnessing this transaction that is just about that has just taken place. And now they are putting a classic Old Testament blessing on Boaz. And what they're saying is, may this Moabitess woman, remember what we know about Moab, enemy of God, place of sin, outsider, not part of the promised land of God. May this outsider, may this Gentile pagan woman with non-Jewish background come in to the fold of God. By the redemption of Boaz, the confirmation of these witnesses, you've just redeemed her, and now God is going to use her to bring about David and ultimately Jesus. When you read Matthew 1, you find her name there. What in the world does all of this mean for you today? It doesn't matter who you are, friend. This is a story that really happened in a historical time in history. An outsider came into the family of God in the most unusual of ways. And it's still happening today. This is a historical story. 
It's not a fairy tale. It's not told just to be a love story. It happened. But it was told by the providence of God to point us to a greater redemption than we could ever ask or imagine. And what God wants us to know from this passage today is that if God can bring Ruth into the family, a Moabitess, not just into the Jewish family, but a Moabitess into the Jewish family who would be used by God to bring about the most important Jewish man, the most important man who would ever walk the face of the planet. If God can use Ruth to do that, God wants you in his family and God can use you to do anything he wants you to do. You see, God was opening up the door for Gentiles long before Jesus walked the earth. God was opening up the door for Gentiles long before Paul ministered about it. God was opening up doors for Gentiles long before Peter ever preached about it. God was opening up doors for the Gentiles in the Old Testament Jewish cultural context of the Bible. Please don't tell me that God does not love all people and have a plan and a purpose, no matter who you are, no matter what part of the world you live in, no matter how bad you may have been in sin, no matter what your life may look like, no matter you may be paying the price for all your earthly sins right now, and you may feel like an outsider whom the church has excluded all of your life. And the redemption of Ruth tells us God loves you. And God wants you in his family. Have you seen the light this morning? The redemption of Ruth is there. But more importantly, the redemption of Jesus is there. The providence of God will always, always, always point you to the redemption of God. Did you hear what I just said? The providence of God will always point you to the redemption of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you plan to be here. Or maybe you're watching online and you plan to watch online. Or maybe you're listening on the radio and you plan to listen on the radio. But maybe you didn't. Maybe you can't even explain it. For some reason, you just heard this message in Ruth this morning. And what's going on in your life seems out of control, seems like there's no way for you to be loved by God, to be a part of this thing called church, to, be, to associate with Christians and to grow in this thing called the Christian faith. But God wants to tell you differently. God loves you. Doesn't matter what you're living in right now, what you're doing, what your past looks like, who you are. God loves you. He wants you into his family. And if you know you're not redeemed, a redeemed child of God this morning, or you question it, today's the day to settle that. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And in that time, I want you to respond to God, not following words that I pray, but respond to God and just let him know that you're tired of living in your sin. You're tired of doing it your own way. That you want to come to Him and trust Him 
Because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God. Only Jesus came to earth to die on a cross for your sins, to be placed in a tomb, and three days later to come back to life so that you might know God and you might have an eternity with God. The alternative is that you pay for your sin in a place called hell. But your sin has to be paid for. Either you accept Christ as your payment or you pay for it eternally on your own. God wants to redeem you today just like Boaz redeemed Ruth. And in a moment when we have a time of prayer, just use that time to respond to God, to tell God that you're a sinner. You trust Jesus as your Savior, and you want to give your life to Him. God will do all the work. But if you're here and you pray that prayer, we want to celebrate that with you as you share that publicly. If you're watching, then there's information there. Let us know about it so we can lead you in next steps. Child of God, how are you trusting in the providence of God? Going back to that statement I made just a moment ago, the providence of God will always lead you to the redemption of God. If you're a child of God already and you know that, then there was a time where the providence of God, however you were saved, whatever your salvation story looks like, led you to the redemption of God. But as a saved individual, God saved you to use you to lead others to salvation. It's the most important thing in the world to God outside of getting all the glory is that lost people know the gospel. In church, that's why we're here. We're here to bring God glory as we gather and to reach lost souls as we scatter. If we're not fulfilling that mission, then it doesn't matter what we're doing. And so, child of God, I ask you as we close this morning, How is the providence of God leading you to be faithful to share His redemption with others who need it today? Maybe we need to come and kneel at this altar and just pray that we would let the enemy stop binding us from opportunities to share the gospel. Because I believe God will lead you to this on a daily basis, by the way. Because there's lost people we encounter every single day. It might be at the grocery store, it might be at work, it might be in your neighborhood. But we live such busy lives that, unlike Boaz and Ruth, we live outside of being attuned to the providence of God. And I wonder if we would just use this time of response as as people who have, have experienced the redemption of God, just to spend time alone with God. And there's something about, if you physically can, kneeling at this altar. I wonder if we could just come this morning and pray and say, Lord, would you burden my heart? for your redemption story? Would you burden my heart for that man, that woman that's been on my heart that might not know you? Would you burden my heart for those I don't yet know? God, would you take the scales off my eyes, take the... take my hands off my ears so that I can see you and I can hear you and I can follow you faithfully. And just trust the providence of God that where He leads, you might follow and be used of Him like Boaz to bring redemption to lost souls. Because the greatest hope of our world today is Jesus. And if you know Him, church, it's time to start letting God providentially lead us to share Him. It's the greatest thing you can do with your life.
would we be faithful? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. All of us equally stand before you just like poor alien Ruth in need of something we cannot provide on our own. But God, we know you have provided it. And so Lord, I pray today for anyone who does not know you, that Lord, in this moment, they would get real with you. Confess their sin. Reach out for salvation. Knowing that you will save them. And God, that they will have the courage to make that publicly, whether it's just a moment and a time of response or whether it's letting us know or someone else know who can walk them through the next steps. We pray for that. But God, we also want to bow before you and just pray with burdened hearts for the lost right here in the shadow of our steeple, in our city, in our state, and around the world who need to know you. And shame on us if we are not faithful to tell them. Lord, by your providence, would you lead us in your redemption. And God, may you receive all the honor and all the glory. Thank you for bringing outsiders in. God, as a church, may we be faithful to share the love that brings outsiders in. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.